that is such an action-packed part of the Bible, Hebrews 11 and 12. I commend it to your reading. It's fantastic reading. Let um, me pray before we continue. Heavenly Father, we ask that you speak to us now through your word, through the Bible, that you by the Spirit work in our hearts and our minds, that you might change us a little bit, that you might encourage us or challenge us or get us to to think or act in, in new ways as a result of tonight. We thank you for this time together. Amen. So when I was five years old, I wanted to be like Michelangelo from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Who remembers him? Does anyone? Yes. It's retro now. Um, he was the guy with the orange mask, as you can see. He loved pizza. He was a party one. He was small in stature, but full of energy. He was a cool one. That's when I was five. When I was ten, I wanted to be like MacGyver. I mean, who wouldn't want to be like this guy with a hair do like him? You can't really see in that picture, but he's got a bit of a mullet. Um, he, was, he was smart, sort of gentle. No track was too much for him. When I was 15, I wanted to be like Andrew Simons. Now, it was rare, but he'd occasionally conquer the bowling attack. He'd, he'd, he'd bat like no one else. Who do you aspire to be like? Who do you aspire to be like? Now, as we age, I don't think we stop aspiring to be a certain person. We might not have a certain person in mind, but we might. But we don't stop wanting to be like us, or wanting to have certain things. Uh, Michael Jensen, who's a, a pastor in Darling Point, he's the son of the former Archbishop Peter Jensen, you might have heard of him. Um, Towards the end of last year, he posted this on Facebook. He calls, it, he calls them the Beatitudes for 2018. They're not Jesus' Beatitudes. They're sort of Beatitudes that represent uh, sort of modern Australian culture. He sort of tried to put them, articulate them into a few sentences or a few points. And what he said, what he came up with was this. He thinks, Australian culture thinks, that blessed are you when you pay off your mortgage and own a piece of Sydney real estate. Blessed are you when you can travel in front, the front of the plane. Blessed are you when people do what you say. Uh, blessed are you when you have lots of people like your posts and selfies. And it goes on. Blessed are you when you get your dream job. When you know influential people by first name. When you're thin and even a little bit hot. Uh, when you meet your soulmate and you never argue with them. These, according to Michael, are the Beatitudes for 2018. So, according to Michael... Um, if you have a few of these things, if you can tick a few of these things off, according to Australians, you're considered blessed. You're considered as having made it. You're considered as um, one of the lucky ones. But what about what God thinks? Who does God consider the blessed ones? From the point of view of God's kingdom, who are the blessed ones? That's the question we've been asking in our time through um, the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which is also known as the Beatitudes, is answering the question, who are the blessed ones? Who are truly blessed in this world? We've called this series uh, Living Right Side Up in an Upside Down World. Uh, you saw the, the image a second ago. It's a big call to make that, generally speaking, our culture's values are upside down. The one... The ones Aussie culture tend to consider as blessed as having made it, as, as the lucky ones, are in reality not the lucky ones at all. 
When you see the world right, when you're viewing the world right side up through the lens that Jesus provides here in the Beatitudes, you come to see that the blessed ones, the truly blessed ones, are frequently the ones Australian culture like to keep at arm's length. So we've reached our final week in the series, and we're going to spend our time looking at verses 10 to 12 in Matthew's Gospel. It would be fantastic if you had the Bible open. We're going to go through the Beatitudes in a bit of detail, especially the, the last few verses tonight. So I've got two questions to guide us through this evening. And the questions are, who are the blessed ones in these verses? Who are they? And then why does Jesus say they're blessed? So there are two questions I'm going to answer. First question is, who are the blessed ones according to Jesus? And the answer is pretty simple. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. That's who the blessed ones are. Now I'm going to take that answer and I'm going to divide it into two because I like to do that. That's what I'm meant to do in the sermon. Make a passage really long. So it take a long time to go through. We're going to look at the, the word righteousness first and then we're going to look at the, uh, the idea of being persecuted. So first, righteousness. Now, righteousness is an extremely religious word, religious word. You're not going to hear righteousness said outside the context of church very often. Um, if you were to think of a righteous person, you'd probably think of someone who um, sees themselves as holier than thou, their, their neighbour, and um, they'd probably be pretty judgmental and um, no fun at all. That's the, sort of the type of person that tends to come to mind when you hear the word righteous, or at least according to most people, I think. But... The word's more help to us if we take it away from those religious connotations. And so one translation of the Bible translated at the beginning of verse 10 like this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for doing right. Now that's less religious-y, it's much more simple. Blessed are those who are doing right. That's a one way to think of righteousness. It's, it's doing right in God's world. And so how do we live rightly in God's world? The Beatitudes has, have fleshed that out for us in the past week. So, so verse 3, to live rightly in God's world is to be poor in spirit. You all went through this for us. To be poor in spirit is to recognize our own sin and our own brokenness and to come to God for mercy and forgiveness. So that's to live rightly in God's world. To live right side up in an upside down, upside down world is verse 4, to mourn at the state of our own hearts, our own selfish desires. And to look out into the world that's characterised by pain and injustice and to mourn at that. Uh, to live rightly, a right side up in God's world is to be meek, verse 5. To know that we're as much a part of the problem as we are the solution. Which leads to verse 6. To live rightly is to call on a solution from the outside, from beyond us, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's verse 6. And God feels that desire. And then to live rightly in God's world is to, last week, be pure in heart, to seek after love for God in all we do and love for our neighbour, and to be peacemakers. These are ways to live right side up in an upside down world. But there's a, a crucial detail in verse 11 that I haven't mentioned yet. Now, you'll, you'll notice that verse 11 is pretty much a repeat of verse 10, but it's in the second person. It has the same structure. Blessed are, it begins, and then it names a group and it sort of elaborates on the, the, the persecuted. So blessed are the persecuted, and then it has a because, just like verse 10 does. But this time, it doesn't say because of righteousness. It says because of me. 
So in the structures uh, of verse 10 and 11, uh, because of righteousness and because of me, they correspond. Which tells us something about what righteousness or right living in God's world is at its most basic. To live rightly in God's world is to live to please and honour Jesus. To live rightly in God's world at its most basic is to live for Jesus. So back to my original question. Who are the blessed ones according to Jesus? We're halfway in answering that question. They're the ones who live rightly in God's world, who have the characteristics that the Beatitudes go through and who ultimately do it for the sake or in the name of Jesus. But what's the other half of the descriptor have to say to us? Who are the blessed ones? Well, they're the, those who are persecuted because of righteousness. So verse 11 expands upon what persecution looks like. Verse of you when uh, people insult you. That's what persecution can look like. When people persecute you and then it says, uh, verse of you when, uh, when people say falsely all kinds of evil against you. Now meet uh, Billy, that's not his real name, he's from Somalia. He was born into a religious family in Mogadishu in, in Somalia. His dad was the head of a tribal leader um, and his dad was the head of a, a religious group in Somalia and he knew the Quran back to front. Out of curiosity, when Billy was studying the Quran, he thought he'd also study the English Bible. And after three years of studying the Bible, he converted to Christianity. Six years after his conversion, he met his first fellow Christian in Somalia. Um, together, he and this other Christian, they began an underground church, which grew to having 14 people in that church. But a year later, um, some zealous Muslims discovered the growing Christian community um, in their city. And so the persecution started. I won't go into detail, but... Uh, one by one, these church members were murdered until there were only two left, Billy and one other person. Uh, Billy escaped many attempts on his life and ended up getting out of Somalia. And from there, uh, he continues to go back into Somalia and back out, sort of uh, encouraging and planting churches in Somalia. That's Billy. Meet Kim Un Jin from North Korea. She's 35 years old now. And she was born into a Christian family. And that's really rare in North Korea because only 2% of North Koreans are Christian. As a child at school, Kim was taught the official truth that there is no God except the leaders of the country. They should only worship them. But each Saturday night, at the back of their tiny apartment, her family gathered to worship God and to read the Bible together. They used a Bible that Kim's grandmother was given when she became a Christian before World War II. It was a Chinese Bible. It was their most prized possession. There's a picture of it. Kim's mother had to translate it each week into Korean from Chinese for their family gatherings. And regularly, the father of Kim, Kim's father, would remind the family that one day they'd probably have to pay a price for being a Christian in North Korea. And each morning, Kim says, her dad would hug her and remind her, be careful about what she said at school that day. Now, eventually, Kim's father was discovered. The police arrested him and his uh, brother um, on a day when Kim was at school, and Kim never saw her father again. Uh, Kim, her mother, her grandmother, and her siblings all escaped to North Korea, 
and she says this in a recent interview, I grew up in a land where they said, where they said there was no God. But my father told me otherwise. He loved Christ, and for that he died. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. That is a crazy thing to say. How are they blessed? The thing is, the Beatitudes aren't a descriptor of some elite group of Christians. The Beatitudes describe the Christian. That's all of us. Uh, Jesus says in John's Gospel, Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And then in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So how does that square for us today? Well, thankfully, we live in a part of the world where at least the antagonism against Christianity isn't as overt. But I think that the sort of storm clouds are gathering in the distance. If we earnestly and wholeheartedly live for Jesus, we will face opposition. So if you refuse to go along with your school friends um, who insist on um, cheating in an exam, who insist on uh, drinking too much, who insist on taking this you know, substance that's just tried out, if you refuse to do that with your friends, you probably will eventually be pushed to the fringe of your group. Uh, if, you, um, if you describe a vision of, of sex and sexuality that is in line with Jesus' vision, um, you'll probably end up being told at some point that you're behind the times, you're backward, you're maybe even sort of dangerous, sort of, un- you're sort of promoting unhealthy views. If you refuse to go along with uh, some work cultures that are, that are all about sort of giving yourself with all your time to your job, then and when you refuse because of um, your commitment to your church family, you refuse to sort of work to certain hours, then you'll probably be looked over when a promotion comes along. If we live for Jesus earnestly today in this culture, we will be persecuted. Uh, John Stott, he concludes in his commentary, since all the Beatitudes describe what every Christian disciple is intended to be, we conclude that the condition of being despised and rejected, slandered and persecuted, is as much a normal mark of Christian discipleship as being pure in heart or merciful. So that's the who of the final Beatitude. Those who are persecuted because of righteousness, they're the blessed ones. They're truly blessed. But how? How is that the case? Why does Jesus call them blessed? The passage gives, gives two reasons, but it sort of focuses on one. So, um, blessed are those who are persecuted because of right living, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And again in verse 12, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Now, if you look carefully at verses 1 to 12, the, the Beatitudes, or particularly verses 3 to 10, you'll notice there's a, a structure to, to the Beatitudes. Look at the second half of verse 3 and the second half of verse 10. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're like bookends to the Beatitudes. 
And between the bookends, there follow all these different reasons for their blessedness. So there's all these different fours. For they will be comforted, for they will inherit the earth. They'll be filled with righteousness, shown mercy, and so on. I take it that all those different aspects of, of being blessed are different, different aspects of the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven involves all those things. Being comforted, inheriting the earth, showing, being shown mercy, being called children of God. Now I say this just because I want you to see how sort of full body the picture of the kingdom of heaven is. It's not some sort of ethereal reality in our future in the clouds. This is a real physical thing. We'll inherit the earth. We really will be comforted. There will be a moment in your experience of life when you will be comforted by the Lord Jesus himself. That's a true thing that will happen. Um, it'll be a place where our thirst for justice is quenched. These things are all different aspects of the kingdom of heaven and our future's full body describes in all different aspects. And you'll notice too that each bookend at the end of verse 3 and 10 are in the present tense, while all, uh, the other ones in the middle, they're in the future tense. Hold on to that thought for a second. Imagine two people have the same job. It's a pretty menial job. It's working on factory four, for instance. And they've got a year-long contract. One of the workers is receiving the minimum wage, and the other is promised an uncharacteristically generous remuneration package at the end of the year. Okay, think in the um, tens of millions, okay, just for the sake of this analogy. Now, would the different rates of remuneration affect how the workers go about their work? Would the different rates of remuneration affect how the workers go about their work? I think it would. Um, the work on the minimum wage, you can imagine, would get up begrudgingly on a Monday morning, slowly half-threading the week ahead, and finally dragging himself to work. But the other worker would be entirely different. The person knows his contract only lasts a year, a short period, and he, all he has to do is think of that future pay packet to keep himself going. There'd be a spring in his step. He'd probably do his best work. And you might even hear on the factory floor a whistle, sort of whistling a tune in the background. Now this is a, a trite little illustration. I don't want to compare the, the kingdom of God with a million dollars. But I think it tells us something of what it is like for Christians. For us, ours is the kingdom of God. It's ours. This full-bodied future is ours now. But it still remains to be fully realised. And so we go about our right living in the world with joy and full dedication, living lives of faith, um, hope and love. Ahead of this day, I'm painting the, in the Beatitudes for us, ahead of this day, that pushes us forward. I know that cry all too well. Um, ahead of the day that pushes us forward. We're walking towards this glorious light and the day will come when we'll be comforted, when we'll be received by our King, when we'll see God with our eyes. So that's the first reason why Jesus can say that the persecuted 
because of righteousness are blessed. The second reason is, um, is at the end of verse 12. So um, he says at the end of verse 12, Jesus, uh, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So I didn't say the whole sentence then, so it didn't really make sense. But the reason is that when we're persecuted for right living, we're joining a crowd of faithful ancestors. And there's honour in that. So we, we had the end of chapter 11 and beginning of chapter 12, Hebrew, Hebrews read for us. And it, it, Hebrews 11 just retells beautifully the boldness and courage of those who've lived before us. And at the end of that passage, or passage I've got up here, there's a beautiful phrase. These people who were persecuted by the world, the world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of them. These, these faithful people who lived in the past, who suffered for it, they're the truly blessed. They're the great ones in the kingdom of God. They're the ones who aren't recognised by our culture. They're not going to get 30 seconds of fame in the nightly news for their suffering. They're not going to get a medal for it. They're not going to get an award. We don't even know about their suffering. But God knows. So when we suffer because of righteousness, we join this, this, this crowd of fellow faithful believers. And that gives us strength. So back to my very first question. Who do you aspire to be like? Who do you aspire to be like? And the answer to that question will come down to which kingdom you've got your eyes fixed on. Now, if, if you've decided to live according to these Beatitudes, you'll probably want to be like someone who's well off who's comfortable, who's pretty powerful and successful. If so, if that's what you've got your sights on, then maybe this reappropriation of verse 11 and 12 would be more appropriate. Blessed are you when people like your posts, envy your lifestyle, and falsely say all kinds of nice things about you. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward on earth, where moth and rust destroy but if you've decided to make Jesus' Beatitudes your charter for life, if you've recognised yourself in these Beatitudes and the portrait that it paints, then you'll aspire to be like Billy from Somalia or Kim Un Jin from uh, North Korea and or the, one of millions of other uh, Christians who are suffering in the world as I speak. Nobody knows their name. There's no picture of them on the internet. But they're known by God. They're the truly blessed ones according to Jesus. Ultimately, the portrait painted by these Beatitudes is of a figure that fits the shape of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is the one full of mercy. He's the pure in heart. He's the peacemaker who came to earth to bring peace between us and God. He is the one who lost his life because of righteousness. So who should you aspire to be like? I won't even say. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the encouragement of the Beatitudes. We thank you that you've set out for us very clearly 
the portrait of one of your disciples. Please give us your spirit to help us live it, make it true in us. We pray that you give us the backbone to, to live righteously for Jesus and to take whatever might come. We pray that you anchor in our souls this hope of your kingdom where we will see you face to face, where we will experience your presence with all our brothers and sisters through the ages. Amen.